Morning, folks. I want to welcome you to our Sunday school time here at the Kerbinsville Christian Church. And we're going to continue right on in our study of Ruth. We're actually going to complete uh, this segment of our Old Testament survey. You know, we have been over the last few months uh, going through the book of Joshua, Judges, and now we're going to finish up Ruth. Starting next week on Easter Sunday, we're going to start into our next segment of our Old Testament uh, survey by looking at uh, the books of First and Second Samuel, as well as part of First Chronicles. And we're going to entitle that segment, The Days of the King, with reference to King David. So we're going to start doing that next week with an introduction to First and Second Samuel, as well as uh, looking at part of First Chronicles. Now, with all of the material from our Old Testament survey, as well as any lesson you would like to go back and look at from this current series, Claiming the Promised Land, uh, we're going to be, uh, you can go to our website, kerwinsvillechristian.org, simply go to Media Resources, and you will see all of our past Sunday School material there. When you click on a particular lesson section, you will see the MP3 audio files that you can listen to online, as well as you will find the PDFs of the material so that you can look at each particular lesson as well. So we just want to make mention of that to you. Uh, we trust that you've been having a good week, so why don't we get right into our Sunday School material today, and we're going to look at this next, this final section of uh, Ruth, which we're going to entitle Redemption. So we're going to focus on chapters 3 and 4, and in particular, we're not going to read the passage, although we may read some of the passages as we go to kind of point out some things to you, but we're we're going to just kind of go through the material because we don't have enough time to read both chapters. So let's begin. Uh, we're going to start, first of all, with chapter 3, and we're going to focus on the threshing floor. Now, a threshing floor was where, the because it was an agrarian culture, where the folks from a village would go to thresh their grain. It was probably one central location, usually outside of the village or the town or the city, and people would go there and thresh their grain. Usually they did that with a fork. Sometimes they did that with animals. What they would do is, is they would beat the stalks so that the grain would fall off. They would thresh it, lifting it up with the fork. The chaff would blow away, and the grain, because it was heavier, would fall. And so we're going to focus on Ruth today at the threshing floor uh, and her interaction with Boaz. So let's get right into this. First thing I want you to notice is, is when you start with chapter 3, this is after Ruth has come back with an ephod of grain, and, and Ruth is being told to just glean in Boaz's fields, Naomi is beginning to lift up in her spirits, and she begins to think in terms of the well-being of Ruth, who has been taking care of her. And probably what's going on here is that Ruth, I mean, excuse me, Naomi is thinking in terms of, what about Ruth after I'm gone? Because she's advanced in years. What about Ruth after I'm gone? So Naomi announced that she would 
help to provide security and well-being for Ruth. So she's thinking in terms of Ruth after she's gone. How is Ruth going to be taken care of? And I think that's a good thing that we're seeing from Naomi there. Now, she points out that Boaz was their relative and that he was winnowing barley that night. Boaz was her, their relative and, that she and he was winnowing barley that night. Now let me explain to you what Naomi is probably thinking. Their culture was completely different than our culture. In our culture, we think it's abnormal to marry a relative. In fact, it's flat out illegal to marry a close relative. But a near relative who's distant or something, that would be, we wouldn't even think of that. In their culture, that's primarily what they did. They primarily married within their families. And so she's thinking in terms of what's best for Ruth. So she's thinking about who will marry Ruth, who, remember, is a Moabitess. She's from Moab. So that's a strike against her because typically the, the Israelis, the Israelites would marry among themselves and within their own families and so forth. So she points out that Boaz was their relative and that he was winnowing barley. Remember, it's the barley harvest that night. So she tells Ruth to care for herself and to put on her best garment. Now, if you read the text, it tells you that Ruth was to wash herself and then anoint herself with oil. That is typical in this culture, washing and then anointing yourself with oil. And then she was to put on her best garment, okay? Her best garment. Ruth was then to go to the threshing floor, but she was not to present herself until after Boaz ate. So you can see there's some protocol here. So you're to go to the threshing floor, but you're not to interrupt him while he's working. And you're not even to interrupt him while he's eating. You're to wait until after he eats. After eats. So you see this protocol that's going on here. Now, when Boaz laid down to sleep, R Ruth was to uncover his feet and lie down. Now, this is very odd for you and I. We can't even imagine that. But in their culture, it had some sort of significance. Uncovering of the feet, laying down at uh, Boaz's feet. That's what Ruth was to do. That's Naomi's instructions. Now, Naomi told Ruth that Boaz would tell her what to do. Now, all of this has some sort of meaning that would be known to them, and basically Ruth was then to just wait. Boaz would tell her what to do. What to do. Now, we're seeing that here in the first five verses. So now we come to verse 6, and we're going to see that Ruth go, goes and does exactly what Naomi tells her. So she went to the threshing floor and did everything that Naomi had instructed her. So she goes to the threshing floor, she waits, waits till he's done working, waits till he's done eating. Okay, so she's doing exactly as 
Naomi had instructed her. Now, after eating his meal, Boaz cheerfully laid down, I'm assuming that he fell asleep, and Ruth quietly uncovered his feet. And then it says she laid down. Okay, she laid down. Now, this is where it gets a little bit hilarious in the story, okay? And I would encourage you to read this. At midnight, Boaz was startled from his sleep and found a woman lying at his feet. So he was startled from his sleep. You know, you know how that happens sometimes. You're, you're kind of awakened, then you startle yourself awake. I mean, you're sleeping and you're like, oh, I'm awake now. And he notices there's this woman at his feet. That's got to be like freaking you out. I'm sure he was freaked out. Okay? So Bo asked who she was. Who are you? And Ruth identified herself as she made the claim for redemption. Okay? She identified herself as she made the claim for redemption. Now, what do you mean the claim for redemption? Okay? Look at verse 9. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing. Okay? So she's basically asking him to take her. Basically, that's a reference to marriage. And notice what he said. She says, for you are a close relative. Now, what is she doing there? She's making a claim of redemption. See, in according to the law, according to the Deuteronomical law that they operated under, is that when a woman, her husband would die, she would then be given to another close relative. It just wasn't up to her to decide who she wanted to marry from that point on. She would be given to another close relative, and then the offspring of that union, the first child, would be the heir to the dead husband. You say, that's pretty weird, George. No, but that's how they operated in order to perpetuate the name of the dead. That was very significant in their culture. So she's making this claim, okay? She's, she's asking to be married to him, and... She is making the claim of redemption here. Now, it's interesting when you look at how Boaz responds, okay? There's a couple aspects to his response here. Boaz commended Ruth for being willing to fulfill her family obligations rather than her own. Look again with me, okay? Boaz says this, verse 10. Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter. Okay, first of all, he keeps referring to her as my daughter. Why is he doing that? Well, because he's a lot older than she is. Now remember, they typically married at 13. So it's very possible that even though she was married before to Malin, she may very well still be in her teens or early 20s. Okay? Okay. Boaz is still single, but that doesn't mean he's a 20-year-old scrapping young man. He may very well be in his 40s. Do you understand? Sometimes they didn't marry until late. All right, so I'm just trying to explain that to you. So he says, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness 
at the end and at the beginning and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. What's, what's he talking about here? Well, he's trying to help her to understand. Well, he's commending her because, and let me help you understand, he's commending her simply for the fact that because she's young, she chose not to just go do what she wanted to do. She put the obligations of family first, meaning that she was willing to marry somebody older for the sake of family. What do you mean the sake of family? Well, she was willing to marry somebody older like Boaz for the sake of Naomi and the family name, for what's right. Okay? So he commends her for that. Now, Boaz commits himself to do all that she requests because she is known as a virtuous woman. Another thing he points out about her is, is Ruth, you have an excellent reputation in our community as a virtuous woman. A virtuous woman. Now, just a side note here. Virtuous woman, that's often illustrated in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31, the latter part of Proverbs. Again, this is a model of a virtuous woman. Sometimes we get into this concept that we need to be just like the Proverbs 31 woman. I think it's virtually impossible to do all that she does, but it kind of expresses to you the Hebrew concept of what a virtuous woman was. And she is being pointed out here as a virtuous woman in the community. Now, but here's the problem. It seems like, oh, wow, this is settled now. Ruth's going to be okay. She's going to be with Boaz. No problem. Yep, there is a problem. He points out that there was another relative who is closer than he is. Okay, if we're going to do this according to the law, if we're according to what is right, then here's the problem, Ruth. I'm not the closest relative. There's another fellow. Now, it's interesting. The book of Ruth doesn't tell us the other fellow's name. But there's another relative who is closer than Boaz, okay? Another relative who is closer than Boaz. Now, Boaz stated he will perform the family duty if the other relative will not. So the other relative has to make a decision. Is he going to marry Ruth in fulfillment of the family duty? Or if he isn't, Boaz said, I will. I'll fulfill the other duty. Now, in the early morning, so they waited till the morning light. In the early morning, Boaz told Ruth not to tell anyone that she was at the threshing floor. So he flat out says to her, look, don't tell anybody you were here. Okay? Don't tell anybody you were here. You need to keep this a secret. He also gives her six ephods of grain. So he says, hold out your shawl. He gives her six ephods of grain as she left for the city. Okay? So he gives her six ephods of grain as she left for the city. Ruth then returns to Naomi and told her all that transpired at the threshing floor. So she gets back. Naomi wants to know what's going on. So she gives her a rundown of all the events of what has happened. She also showed Naomi the grain and that Boaz told her not to return empty-handed. See, the grain wasn't just for Ruth, if you understand what's going on here. The grain was for Naomi. 
And it's the significance of the amount of grain is Ruth is communicating to Naomi, I'm going to do the right thing here for you folks. I'm going to do the right thing here for you folks. Okay? Now, Naomi told Ruth to be patient since Boaz would not rest until the matter is settled. And that's how we end chapter 3. Naomi says, just be patient. This man's going to do what he said he would do, and he will not rest until the matter is settled. Okay? Then that brings us now to chapter 4. Chapter 4. And so now we see the redemption of Naomi's family. See, what's going on here? I just need you to understand. This is not just a story of Ruth. This is a story of Naomi's family, of Ahimelech and Malin. And I want you to understand it's even more than that. It's the redemption of the lineage of Jesus later on. And we're going to see that here in a moment, okay? We're going to see that here in a moment. So in the morning, Boaz went to the city gate and sat down until the close relative appeared. Now, city gate, we don't have city gates here, but they did there because that was where, like, the one place to enter into a fortified place or the fortified village or fortified city. And what would happen at the city gate is that the elders would be at the city gate and there would be a lot of business actions, a lot of governmental actions would take place at the city gate. That's where the elders would be. So Boaz comes and he seats himself at the city gate waiting for the close relative to come by. Now, why would he go to the city gate? Well, because everybody goes through the city gate to get into the village or the town or the city. So he knows he's going to see them there. Okay. Now, calling the relative aside, they sat down with 10 elders from the city. So he sees the relative and he says, hey, come on over here. I want to sit down. I want to talk with you. And as they sit down, Boaz invites 10 of the elders of the town to come and sit with them. This very much signifies that what's about to happen here is a business transaction. We're getting ready to take care of some business. That's why you would invite the elders. So this isn't just, hey, what's happening, cousin? I need to talk to you. What's going on here? This is a formal agreement that's getting ready to be made here. Okay? A formal agreement that's getting ready to be made. So Boaz informed the relative about redeeming the land that Naomi has sold. So Naomi has sold, probably they did this before they went to Moab for money, they sold their part of their inheritance. And the law allowed you to redeem back your inheritance. The law allowed you to get back the property that you sold that was belonging to you, your family, that was a part of the inheritance. So Boaz informed the relative about redeeming the land that Naomi had sold, Naomi's land, which was Ahimelech's land. Okay, So Boaz informs the relative about that. Now the relative seems pretty interested in doing that because he obviously, like Boaz, has money and means 
and to acquire more property, that would be great. But Boaz, he also informed the relative that with the redemption came Ruth to perpetuate the dead. Oh, there's something else I need to point out to you here. You know, when you redeem the property, you get Ruth as your wife in order to perpetuate the dead, which was in accordance with the law. Ooh, that changes things, doesn't it? Okay, that goes from just getting a piece of land now to where if I do this, I get a wife, and not just any wife, she's a Moabite wife, not just any wife now who's a Moabitess. My heir, my first heir with her is going to be born to the dead to carry on the family name. So thinking of his own inheritance, I mean, the passage very clearly says that. The guy says, you know, not to mess up his own inheritance, the close relative refused and told Boaz to redeem it. Now, now do you understand why the elders are there? The elders are there as witnesses to this whole interaction. So that later on it can't be said, well, what do you mean Boaz bought it? I didn't have a chance. No, no, the elders are there as witnesses now because the close relative is saying, I, I don't want this. This is going to mess up my own inheritance. You do it, Boaz. You do it. So the writer tells the reader concerning the custom of exchanging sandals in the redemption. So the writer wants to inform everyone of a custom at that time, and that was when you entered into a business agreement. Well, okay, let's stop for a moment. When you and I enter into any kind of business agreement here in our country, we usually have to sign an agreement or a contract. Even if it's online, you and I sign an agreement or a contract and it's sent to us via email or it's sent to us via lawyers and so forth and we enter into that agreement and that agreement then is there to show that we have an agreement concerning that issue. Their culture was a little bit different. They didn't go around writing contracts. But what they did do is very interesting. They exchanged their sandals. They exchanged their sandals. So when they entered into an agreement, the agreement now being from the close relative, I agree, you can buy Naomi's property. He then takes off his sandal. They would exchange sandals with themselves, showing that they've entered into an agreement. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. So the relative Claude told Boaz to buy it, took off his sandal, and gave it an agreement. That's where you're kind of like hoping that the guy you're making the agreement with has a bigger foot than you. Has a bigger foot. Do you understand? Because you're taking his sandal, okay? You're taking his sandal. Now, in the elders' presence, Boaz proclaimed that he was redeeming the land and Ruth. So in the elder's presence, he does what the law required, and that is he was proclaiming, I am redeeming Naomi's land, so the inheritance comes back to the family, and I am taking Ruth as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead. So he makes that proclamation to the elders in the city square in front of all of the witnesses there. Okay, So that's what he's doing. 
The elders and the people proclaimed that they were witnesses and they blessed Ruth. Now listen to this. This is an interesting blessing. Let me explain to you what is being said here. Okay? Let me go real quickly here. Verse 11 of chapter 4. And the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of, of Israel. And may you prosper in Epaphrata and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this woman. Basically, they are pronouncing a blessing on Ruth to have babies, to bring children into Boaz's home. That's what they're doing here. Now, it goes on into the text then. We see now that Boaz, verse 13 and 17, took Ruth as his wife, and she bore him a son. She conceived, bore him a son. Now the woman, the women in town, and you think, wow, the women would be all excited for Ruth. Now they're excited for Naomi because of Ruth and Boaz. They're excited for Naomi because remember, Naomi felt that she was going to her grave childless. There was no heir. Now there is an heir through Ruth and Boaz. Okay? Through Ruth and Boaz. Now she according to their customs, according to the law, could die peacefully. She could live out the rest of her life happy because there was an heir in her home through Ruth and Boaz. And so Naomi, even in her advanced age, was able to nurse the child, and they called him Obed. Obed, that's his name, the grandfather of David. This is the grandfather of David. That means Boaz is the great-grandfather of David. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that interesting here? So then what happens is, in verses 18 through 22, the writer then traces the lineage of David from Perez, the son of Judah, to David. Okay? Now, it's interesting because in this little passage of book, it doesn't mention two other women who are given significance in the scripture. What do you mean, George? Well, Perez, who is the son of Judah, is also the son of Tamar. Do you remember Tamar? She married the eldest son of Judah. He died, was killed by the Lord. She was then given to the second son. He too was then killed by the Lord. And then what should have happened is she would have been reserved for the third son later, but Judah didn't do that. So she deceived Judah into thinking she was a harlot. She then gets pregnant. And you have that whole story in Genesis. And she bears Perez. Now, if you look at the passage, verse 21 it mentions a fellow by the name of Salmon. Salmon, who is the father of Boaz. Now, who is Salmon? Salmon, my friends, was one of the two spies 
whom Rahab hid when they took Jericho. Remember from the book of Joshua? Salmon was married to Ruth. So Boaz's mother was not a true Israelite. She was from the Canaanite peoples. Now do you understand maybe why he was open to marrying a Moabitess? So it's significant here in the lineage of Jesus, we see three different women that are emphasized in the scripture. It kind of shows you the connection of all the books, isn't it? Ultimately leading to David, and then ultimately later to a son of David, the Messiah, Jesus, who would come. So that ends, folks, our story, our narrative, historical narrative in the book of Ruth. I would encourage you to go back, read it on your own. It's a wonderful story concerning the faith of these individuals and God who is ultimately working in the background to orchestrate what he is wanting to do. So again, next week we're going to look at the introductory material to 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st Chronicles as we begin our new next segment of our study in the Old Testament where we look at the days of the king, meaning King David.